Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Hey, greetings, guys. Welcome to the Boga Pass Horror Podcast. As always, coming from Boston is Scott. And this is Jim Towns coming from Los Angeles. Welcome to Borgo Pass. Welcome to, uh, we're going to do a slightly different one tonight, aren't we, Scott? I guess one of the reasons why I, what intrigued me about doing a podcast is it was going to drive me to, you know, to movies I've either never seen or hadn't seen much of. And Albert and Costello meets Jekyll and Hyde. I had never seen this until we were, we were I was pl- planning this podcast. Or, really? Know, doing my, doing my, never. Ever, ever. I mean, Albert Cancelo, you know, meets Frankenstein is one of my all time favorite movies. But I got to be honest, like, I mean, I'm a huge Three Stooges fan. And I just was never, I never got into Albert and Costello. And I don't know, just nothing really drove me to seek out. And and I'm not really sure why, because I love, you know, ANC meets Frankenstein so much. I mean, it's like one of my favorite films. And nothing really ever drove me to seek out. There are other ones. I mean, I've seen like The Mummy, I think. But yeah, Jekyll and Hyde. I have never, I, I prior to this, uh, you know, a week ago or so, I had never That's seen this. Amazing that you haven't. Um, you know, I I guess I would write that up to the differences of where you and I grew up. You, I grew up in Pittsburgh. You grew up in Boston. In Pittsburgh, we had, I think it was WPTT 22 on every Sunday morning. They had like the Abbott and Costello Theater on. They would do Abbott and Costello and then they would do uh, Mom Pa Kettle after that. Okay. <laughs> and I never watched Mom Pa Kettle, but I would, I'd watch it. And so I grew up being a big Abbott and Costello fan. Yeah. You know, Buck Privates and, you know, Africa Screams and some of the other stuff. Sure. Okay. Great. But mostly, I, you know, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein was the thing. Every time the show came on, I was hoping that that was what they were going to show. And they showed that one quite a bit. And and that was my introduction to the Universal Monsters as at a young age, because they weren't showing Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Mummy, Phantom of the Opera, have, what have you, on TV when I was little. And, you know, so you kids can date us. Scott and I grew up in the era just a little bit before VHS yep. and, and renting movies and stuff. I, I was in like fourth grade, I think, when I or third or fifth grade when we started renting movies. So this, so, so I'm going to call because just because of their connection to the monsters, I think they were an early favorite of mine. And now I I've, I've moved on and I'm, I'm more of a Marx Brothers guy, to be honest. It's four movies that they did that are still like, they're very precious and dear to me. And and because they, that when they meet the monsters, they did Abner Costello meet Frankenstein, I think in 1948. Abner meet the Invisible Man after that. They did this one, Abner Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And they finished in 55 with Abner Costello meet the mummy. So there's these four you know things that that just I yeah I would always be excited when these came on and stuff like that. So so and this this one I hadn't seen in a long time. I finally found it on on home video and I was I was I was it was fun to revisit it from a it's decade crazy. or two at least. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we didn't grow. I mean, I again I grew up in you know Boston, Massachusetts. You were Pennsylvania, so not that that far away. Yeah. And everything you just described as far as like what you saw for the horror movies and you know Abbott Costello, I was like. So I'd had a creature double feature, which is all about, you know, either like Godzilla, Frankenstein, you know, creature from the Black Lagoon. And then following that was always the Three Stooges shorts. I never, ever saw Albert and Costello until a little bit later on. And then, you know, I think something like, and I'm just, I I hold the Three Stooges so precious. 
yeah. to me. Just oh. again, it's like a childhood thing, you know, growing right. up. And that's he Costello. And you know, I've got a, a few complaints here. You'll probably hear me bitch and moan about. No, that's good. Yeah, certain no, 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 things no, no, were like his curly, and I just I'm like, oh come on, man, you totally, you totally grabbed that from curly. But yeah, so funny is how uh, you know different influences from my childhood, you know, dictate our enjoyment and, as adults. And, and yet so. here we both are in the same place, you know, almost the exactly. same age, both you know, both loving the same stuff and watching, mm-hmm. doing the same podcast. So there you go. It's funny. So it's anyway. so funny. This, I mean, such a great example of why I want to do this podcast is to be introduced to something new. So here we go. Yeah. Albert and Constello in 1953. Um, he said, you know, coming off the success of, I mean, just a, a monumental, amazing film, Costello or Albert and Costello meet Frankenstein, which I cannot wait to cover. Flawless, we flawless oh example per- of comedy and horror teaming up. 100%. And just like I said earlier, before we started recording, like a paragon of of of, of that type of film for me. You know, th- th- just a side note, real quick. These films were sort of very much looked down on when I was younger. I, even like in the eighties and nineties, when I was starting to read like David Skull's books on on the you know classic horror and things like that. And it's like it seems like over the past decade or two that attitude has changed a little bit and they've, they've started to become appreciated a little bit more on their own merits. And that I find that an interesting change in the zeitgeist of horror fandom. Yeah. I'm really excited to start digging yeah. into this one here. So, and this one, the, the only time universal studios touched Robert Louis Stevenson's story, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde. Isn't it, that, you know, fantastic. it was always a, it was an RKO property, right? It was RKO. Yeah. I mean, and I cannot wait by the way to cover that one. That's one of my, my favorites. The, the the Frederick March one, yeah, yes. yeah, I'm, I'm oh my excited gosh. Uh, for for that one because that's a it's a great film. Um, uh, the John Barrymore one also a f- amazing uh, version of it, and it's great to see Universal not not only Universal doing it in in their own inimitable un- inimitable style, but to see Boris Karloff play Doctor Jekyll, it's it's fantastic. It's he's so perfect as Doctor Jekyll, the eruditeness and the the charm and the his height and narrowness and stuff. Gosh, it's like he's it's like the role was written for him, right? He does. And he looks, he looks really, really good. I mean, you think of, you know, when he filmed Frankenstein, he was in his mid forties. So now he's in his, you know, mid sixties, 66 at this point. Yeah. He looks fan. I mean, he just, like you said, the aerodyne is handsome, suave, you know, it's just classic call off great portrayal and yeah, the hair um, and the mustache and everything's perfect. Oh, he's just wonderful. The the charm. And yeah, I guess the only shame is that he's not really, how do I so spoilers, he's not really in the film that much because when he is transformed into Hyde within Abnacosto, Michael and Hyde, um, it's usually uh, a stuntman named Eddie Parker who doubled for him. And when you do realize that Karloff not only is 66, but also has a very bad back, uh, you you know, and, and then you see what Eddie Parker does as Hyde, which I don't think we'd seen. You know, the guy crawls up drain pipes like a monkey and he jumps from building to building over, you know, rooftop to rooftop and stuff. It's a very acrobatic Hyde, which I, again, I'm not sure we'd seen that much of, of a Hyde like that before. So this movie, I mean, when honestly, when I think of Mr. Hyde in a visual sense, I tend to think about Eddie Parker in this film uh, and in the cloak and the the derby hat and everything like that. It's really cool. Yeah. I mean, Eddie Parker, you guys, you know, out there in, in Borgoland know him as a stunt man from Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Obviously we know, you know, Lugosi and, and um, that's right. And, and Cheney Jr. But yeah, Eddie Parker played, you know, a huge piece of that. And I'm God. Yeah. He just, he's so good. And yeah, this hide is a lot, a lot different than the other hides. I mean, the other, you know, and we can get into it, but he's certainly, I mean, they call him over and over again, a monster. I think the only one that really calls him, Hyde, a Mr. Hyde is Kaloff, is you know, Dr. Jekyll. Otherwise, he's known get into as that. They don't, he's the they monster. Don't, they don't refer to him as Mr. Hyde a lot. They no. refer to him as a monster, or as Bud Abbott says with his New Jersey accent, a monster. 
he goes, he goes a monster. He the says monster. the word monster like 37 <laughs> times in the face. It's the monster. It's yeah. hilarious. But he is. He's full. Blo- he's full on gorilla, you know, with with a top, like you said, the derby and, and a coat on. But yeah, he doesn't speak. He's grunts. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get into the makeup later. It's a very, you know, he doesn't speak, which is interesting because he he does. He speaks in the book and he speaks in all the other uh, cinematic portrayals of, of, of Hyde that I remember. It is. He's a very Neanderthalish. You know, it's like a backwards evolution kind of thing they have going on because he's very hairy. He's got a very brutish brow and face and stuff. And, and that's that's part of the that idea is sort of communicated in in the book to some degree. But they really run with it here. And I this is so this will be Bud Westmore at this point, right? Doing the the makeup for Universal, correct? Because yeah, yep. and we're in Universal International. I think this is our first Universal International this is international right film we've done because they've they've the the ownership of the the studio has changed hands again at this point. I think the last Jekyll and Hyde movie I'd seen, it was the, the Hammer one. So they put out a movie called The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll. And if you remember that one, Dr. Jekyll's actually more of the Neanderthal. It's only when he turns into Mr. Hyde, he's like this regal, handsome, charming. Really? Man. I haven't seen Yeah. That. It's a, a total role reversal, which I think makes it really, really interesting. Yeah. He's like, you know, the womanizer. So let's get right into um, the cast. So obviously, as we talked about it, Bud Abbott and uh, Luke Costello. So Bud Abbott as the, uh, I guess, right on the nose, Slim is yes. his name, is, which <laughs> always makes it easy to remember. So Abbott is Slim, the policeman, and Costello is Tubby. So if you're confused about which one's which, just look on screen and, you know, Abbott's the There's tall. There's some visual cues. Right. And they, they I, I like they actually... They don't explain why half of the other cast has American accents in this film, but they do explain that these two guys are on loan from America and serving as as bobbies in the in the London police force. So there's at least an explanation of what these two guys are are doing in this film. Yeah, the inspector makes a kind of a passing comment that, oh, you know, we brought in these two American policemen just to, you know, show them show them what it's like or something. I don't know. Some, Some excuse why they're here. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, but Abbott, Lou Costello and. Yeah, Slim Tubby, and of course, Mr. Boris Karloff as Henry Jekyll, as Jim mentioned. I think he's some, oftentimes credited as Mr. Hyde, but he's not. He's strictly just Dr. Jekyll, and as Jim said, Eddie Parker, um, stuntman, uh, stuntman extraordinaire as Mr. Hyde, and with Craig Stevens as Bruce Adams. The of course, you have to have a reporter if it's a you know Universal film from the forties, fifties. You got to have some kind of reporter guy right. who. By the way, goes on to like order on the policeman, but we'll get there. But and, and get in some fist fights and, and handle himself pretty well as as we've covered a few uh how do we you know leading men who don't seem to be up for the, the task of, of running, you know, doing their own fight scenes and stuff. <laughs> Bruce Adams in this film is he does pretty well. Yeah, he does the physicality, and you gotta imagine being like I'll just say like a young boy in the you know 50s, 60s watching these movies. I'd want to be a reporter. I'm like, holy shit, these guys have a these guys That's have great, a great you get to chase people great on rooftops, gig. you get to Right, you get, you get like the cute girl. Costello. You get the cute girl. You can like fight. You can order policemen around. Like this seems girl, like yeah. the job to have. Seems like a good job. And In fact, like, I, I think I swear to God, when I was young, I think I just thought he was part of the police or something. I didn't remember because the reporter thing is a brief. You know, he sort of refers to it every once in a while, but it's definitely you never see him go back to the newspaper or anything. He never, no. But there's, I mean, we'll get to it. Like I was watching this this movie a little while ago. As a scene, like towards the end of the movie, we'll get there, and like literally, he's ordering police around yeah <laughs> like literally he's like no you three go up those stairs you three follow me we're gonna go in the alleyway it's well, like he's american that's what we do right i guess so yeah it's very american tell tell the rest of the world what to do <laughs> and then we have uh it's helen westcott right is vicky edwards helen westcott the beautiful um vivacious vicky edwards yeah so she's very here beautiful. as um about feminist extraordinaire 
Yeah, we'll get right into it. So this sort is really, of, yeah, we'll get in for a little for a little while until uh, yeah they go full rockets on us. But anyway, exactly. So we open up in a foggy London street, and I guess one you know, one thing I really like about this film is that they do not waste time. That there's really no backstory with Jacqueline Hyde. I guess people just you know the makers of this film assume that people know the story, and I, yeah. so literally it's Hyde full-blown hide, monkey man, furry hand, furry face, attacking and killing somebody in the park. This is Dr. Poole, who is a kind of has some relation with uh, Dr. Jekyll. He's just a, you know, a doctor in kind of the same circles. This film had a $750,000 budget, which I'm not sure what that even is according to inflation, but you have to contrast it against like House of Frankenstein, like done, you know, about seven or eight years earlier than this. Had like a three hundred thousand dollar budget. This, but and definitely some of that budget went to Bud Abbott and Lou Costello because they were the highest paid performers in Universal's stable at that point. These guys were, you know, in nineteen fifty three, these guys are at the height of their popularity. They're enormous box office stars. They're generating a ton of revenue for Universal, um, which was what prompted that Universal to bring back their monsters and have them meet uh, Abbott and Lou as uh, uh, Bud and Lou, as I should say. Sure. Um, they're immensely powerful. They really get a lot of say in, in what projects are going to happen and what they're going to be involved in, who, who gets to be the director. But what that affords, and yeah, you can poo-poo plenty in this film and, and a lot of it kind of drags and some of it's pretty contrived and silly. But what you do have to appreciate is the, the the money this film had to play with to create foggy London streets and these amazing sets and, and, and have all this action throughout London and on the rooftops and stuff. Universal got to make a really expensive monster movie in making... Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and, and Abbott and Costello. And I get, and Jim is the the guy that doesn't make films. This felt very cheap to me. I mean, and, <laughs> and again, I mean, we can have a, a healthy debate. No, honestly, like, and and I did, like, I went back, I looked at the budget for Abbott and Costello, me Frankenstein, and man, I can see where the money was spent. They just these lush yeah. sets, and I'm not saying like they don't have you know great sets, and some of those rooftop scenes are great, but there's all the scenes here, like. You know, within some of the homes here, again, it just it felt kind of cheap to me. Looks a little chintzy. That's interesting. I don't. Again, again, I think you know, like you said, they are just powerful yeah. folks, and they're pulling in a lot of money. I'm sure Koloff wasn't on the. You know, he didn't come cheap to them. Yeah, I mean, as we can certainly talk through it, and you know, I hope you can educate me, Jim, as the filmmaker yourself. Like, yeah, you know, where we where you think, like, in you know, in the sets or you know, the, the cinematography. I, I do. Here, I do think the extent of the sets in 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 London stuff, and they use a lot of some familiar spots and stuff we can see, but um. Yeah. yeah, but also like there's a lot of moving cameras. Charles Lamont directs this, and he's a he was a he's a, a go to Abbott and Costello director at the time. He proves that he not only I mean he can direct comedy, but man, he can direct spooky action too. He mm-hmm. the, the the cameras fluid, the you know everything cuts together. Really good. The action is really tight and stuff. It's a great put together film. So moving on though, anyway. yeah, no, I th- I think and correct me if I'm wrong. I think he did every film, every monster film except. Frankenstein, right? For, yeah, that was Char- Charles T. Barton, right? Does yeah. Frankenstein. And then Lamont does the rest of them. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. Um, and John Grant writes most of them, I think, or at least co writes most of them. Yeah. yeah. I neglected to say so there, there's also Abner Costello meet the killer Boris Karloff. Uh, yes. There's a, there's a kind of a kind of a fifth. Uh, 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 Custom, which honestly i love i think i think i can't wait to talk about that movie that movie's fantastic nice. and there's also hold that ghost which is was hold that ghost came out a few years before abner Costello frankenstein and it was the movie where something clicked in universal where they're like hey luke costello being scared is 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 very successful and popular here it's money so yeah. what can we do to have luke costello be scared and i think there was a natural <laughs> you know yeah you know, lo- logical progression from there anyway 
they figured out what worked in that and you know frankenstein meets or everyone uh, telling me frankenstein it's basically yeah. you know carbon copy that he, he does a lot of <laughs> shouting just kept doing it over and over again exactly right now there's a lot of shouting for you know bud abbott to, to help him out and we'll get this so yeah basically it kind of starts out with a, a march for women's suffrage where we meet um vicky edwards for the first time she's up on kind of a podium or a, a gazebo and they basically mm-hmm. they, they want the right to vote, and you know they've got just some really obnoxious blue cl- uh, blue collar guys sitting around saying, you know, go back to the kitchen and blah 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 blah. And then they basically start they start this kind of this number where they it becomes kind of sexy, like they turn it almost like the rock cats and they're kicking the legs in the air. It's kind of a strange. Yeah, it's, it's it's I guess it's it's funny. I guess it's ironic. I guess you should yeah. say that the the filmmakers turn turn a a women's suffrage rally into yeah like a like a like a chorus number um where they're kicking up their legs and showing a lot it it does within the context of the movie get a lot of the guys on their side though i i, I would say so, it, it did probably, it for the wrong, runs, probably for the wrong reasons right i feel like i feel like it sort of runs uh, against the current of what what women's suffrage was which was again as, as scott said like uh early 20th century women had in, in england and in america had to fight for the right to vote they did a lot of rallies they did a lot of marches a lot of speeches these were usually peaceful they sometimes turned quite violent though some of these women really got into some property damage and burning and looting and stuff so that's yeah. kind of what happens here yeah so we yeah, kind of have yeah. a little bit of a, a kind of a brawl so we, we made at the same time we meet vicky who's kind of the head um i don't say feminist but basically it's kind of the head the, the headliner of the suffrage movement right and we meet bruce adams for the first time who's a reporter working for the newspaper basically just covering the story and you know he takes offense so he there's a lot of um, early chemistry between bruce and vicky and he overhears one of the, you know, the blue collar jerks saying something to, to Vicky, like, you know, go back to the kitchen or, you know, women's, you know, if you, if you don't fight in war, you have no right to vote, blah, blah, blah. So basically Bruce and this, this blue collar dude exchange, you know, fisticuffs. And it is in this kind of, this gets funny. This is like a really nice scene that it turns into basically just a Royal rumble where the, you know, the women kind of get involved and they're bopping guys over the head with their purses. And, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, it just, it's and, a really fun scene. It goes on for a while, but it's just it, like, it, total- yeah, it, 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 it becomes a big set piece. Um, yeah. Bruce, totally tars that guy that has the problem with him. So, mm. I mean, and it's kind of funny that Bruce starts out saying, well, like, I don't really support women's right to vote. I think that would be, that would just cause a lot of trouble. You know, he's, <laughs> he's, a, he's of one mind, but then when that guy, you know, offers her offense, he very chivalrously, you know, stands up for her and, and, and takes the guy to town. This fight escalates. Everything goes crazy. And two bobbies show up to help break it up. And the two bobbies are Bud Abbott and Luke Costello. Of course, they're rushing in. And as Jimmy mentioned earlier, they're kind of, you know, on loan from some, I'll say, I don't know, New York police force or whoever, basically to, yeah. to London. And, you know, they run in and, you know, immediately, of course, in true comedic fashion, get their asses handed to them by everybody, mostly the women. There's a really, really fun scene of a it, woman. It's a great fight scene. It's, and there's some, you know, effects thing where, where Lou Costello gets like knocked into the ground by by his own billy club when you know this, right, right, there's, a, right. there's a like a big older woman there that there's also there's a few stunt women there's there's a block and I would love to if any of our listeners know who this stunt woman is there's a there's a blonde lady she's pretty stocky but she's very very attractive as well and she picks up Bud Abbott and mm-hmm. and like does does like an airplane spin on him and tosses him and it's <laughs> I've I watched it very slowly it's real she really I'm not sure if it's actually Bud Abbott she does it to but she does it to a full grown man and I think she later on doubles a lady on a bicycle when Hyde jumps on the bicycle and tosses the old lady off. When the old lady falls off and then stands up, I think it's definitely this blonde woman again. So it's, I would love to know what that stunt woman's name is. It's a one. It's so fun. And you beat me to it. Those are absolutely my notes. Highlighted, yeah. bold. We had to talk about this. Yeah, literally picked up 
I, I mean, I think so. There's a kind of a cut scene. So it looks like she kind of she's reaching underneath Bud Abbott, and then there's a yeah. there's a quick cut, and then all of a sudden yeah. she's like, yeah, like you said, doing the airplane spin. Probably not Bud Abbott. Could, and then just could like, be a dummy, but probably but dummy. It looks pretty weighty too. I'm not sure. I think it's I think it's a dummy. I was gonna say maybe it's Eddie Parker. You know, I'm, I'm joking. It's not Eddie Parker. It's a dummy, and she like tosses him off the gazebo or you know by the gazebo. Yeah, but yeah. it's really funny. But yeah, ton of action and just yeah. a lot of shenanigans and a good drinking game, listeners. If you want to, so get like a little oh, your favorite nip or whatever. Every time Lou Costello gets bumped on the head, you got to take a shot. <laughs> you're gonna you, be you're gonna be drunk like with like a minute right. and a half of the film, but he gets you know, bumped hey, a few okay. a few times, and it it's it's really funny. Yeah, for some reason there's a hole in the ground, and you know, Bud Abbott falls into it, slim falls in this hole, and then at one point, actually, so he pops his head out, and then one of the women takes like the bass drum, you know, from the thing slams right, him over right. the head, and at one point, you know, Tubby Costello then falls into the drum. So at one point, they're both in this hole. But it's just, it was really well done. Like, it's well directed, well choreographed. Yeah. Really, really fun. Yeah, it's definitely a dummy she tosses. I'm just watching it now. It's definitely a dummy she tosses. Uh, but it looks like a weighted dummy. So it's, it's you know what it is? It's probably the dummy from the, the hanged guy that Colin Clive and uh, Dwight Fry cut down in Frankenstein. So oh, I love that it. dummy. then that gets tossed off the window that poor guy yeah he fell into the the windmill and now he's being you know airplanes (laughs) spun around and (laughs) the same one they're being efficient and stuff yeah but this this gets our story started here and then you know following this then the the rest of the bobbies show up like the reinforcements show up and they start you know most of the women run off but they arrest not only vicky but bruce as well and then they arrest they arrest bud and lou as well They, they arrest slim and tubby as well for i guess just making matters worse yeah pretty much anybody who's in the credits of this movie is arrested and you know <laughs> in jail and you know, this is kind of when bruce and and vicky get to you know i guess meet for the first or i guess for the second time but they start getting to know each other and yeah. you know the sparks are flying and and so basically out of nowhere vicky's bailed out of jail and now we're not really sure about who so vicky and actually they all kind of leave at the same time at least well, well vicky and bruce do and of course it's mr boris Koloff as Henry Jekyll, who we learn has bailed Vicky out. So it sounds like he's been kind of her, I guess, n- not quite an uncle, but has kind of been supporting her since her father passed away. So yeah, he, um, he calls her his ward. So, I, you know, he's legally responsible for her upbringing. So I guess, you know, he would, we would now call him a foster parent. Which, I mean, at some point, later on in the film, there's supposed to be some romantic things, but it, it, ne- it never works. I mean, I think, first of all, Koloff is just, it's just, I mean, not only just creepy, but I, I just don't feel any kind of chemistry, but whatever. Yeah, he's basically Batman to her Robin. So Bale's right in jail to protect her. And then, you know, Bruce, who's all of a sudden really smitten with his Vicky, wants to hop in. So, you know, long story short, Jekyll is taking Vicky, puts her on his carriage to take her back, gets back to the music shop. And Bruce totally is like, well, I guess I'm going to come too and make some excuse to hop in the carriage. And then, yeah. you know, totally cock blocks Jekyll, which is kind of fun. And then well, it's- without, I don't think he ever even suspects that Jekyll has designs on Vicky just because the obvious age difference, not, not to, yeah. not least the fact that he's again, more or less his, her adopted parent raised her from childhood for, so for the idea for him to be, I don't know what kind of guy, you know, adopts a, a kid, a girl, and raises her and then falls in love. Oh, never mind. Wait. Uh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, never mind. <laughs> we'll stop that train at the station. Um, any, anyway. Gonna have to stop um, making we, we're still gonna have to stop making we don't hate Woody Allen t-shirts. <laughs> now I have to make basically Jekyll's giving the ride home. And on the on the carriage ride, Carloff has a great couple lines 
about what he's trying to do with his research. And, and this is very much from the Robert Louis Stevenson book, very true to the, the uh, uh, that piece of writing. And it gives you a hint of where Jek- Jekyll was back in the beginning when he was do- starting to do this research years before this film takes place, obviously, where he had these noble ideas of like trying to figure out what makes people, what makes men kill, what makes people be violent, what makes people hurt each other, steal, rob, do whatever they want, uh, because, you know, for, to further their own ends and goals and greed and whatever. And if he can he can find what that is and distill it, that that impulse, maybe he can rid people of it and make the world a better place, right? I mean, th- these are the, the noble goals he starts out with. The problem is in doing that, he is experimenting on himself and he's purifying his essence into like he's splitting himself. He's for anyone who somehow doesn't know the story of Jekyll and Hyde, right? Um, He splits himself into the good guy, which is Dr. Jekyll and this dark alter ego, which is referred to, he refers to as Mr. Hyde. And that's how we get to this point. By this point, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Jim, he he says a number of times throughout the film, it's like the duality, you know, the duality of man. And, you know, we're all built or we're all born with, you know, two sides. And then he makes a point. Some of us can control the two sides and other, others of us cannot. You know, the criminals. And like you said, his research is all about helping those that cannot control the dark impulses. This film was criticized at the time uh, heavily for the fact that Dr. Jekyll, in within the context of this film, he himself is not a good person. He himself, he covets his ward, first of all, which is not whatever. But he... He's gotten to a point at this point where he wants to go hurt people that have wronged him, or he feels like Dr. Poole in the beginning of the film was someone who mocked his research and he felt offended in that. And he's using Mr. Hyde. He's purposely turning himself into Mr. Hyde and having Mr. Hyde go do his dirty work that he's too, you know, delicate to to do himself. And it was criticized because the idea of being Dr. Jekyll is supposed to be a good guy who's made a mistake and he's fighting against this dark thing within him, right? He's the hero and and the villain story. In this, he's sort of the villain and the villain. Absolutely. And that's, and that's one thing I but didn't... I think that's fascinating. I think that's yeah, great. It is. It's such a different take on it. And yeah, like you said, I mean, you know, Dr. Jekyll, who's the, you know, the learned and you know, intelligent man, basically eyeballs, very early in the film, eyeballs Bruce as a threat to him. Yes. So his conclusion is, well, I'm just going to turn myself into Mr. Hyde, this, you know, hulking monster yeah. to kill bruce so yeah there is no you know there really isn't you know a good a good and evil with jacqueline hyde he's they're both very evil and then he basically almost wants to pin the murders on on yeah. this hide you feel like he's not physically maybe capable at his age and and you know physical whatever to to, yep. to do the things he wants to do so he abuses the serum he's created to to further his own goals and stuff like hides his hitman he's got his own personal hitman exactly. inside himself exactly right um, Yep. I think it's a unique take on the thing. I, if I had to guess, I would say Universal hired Boris Karloff to play Doctor Jekyll, and they're like, "Are we really getting our money's worth if Doctor Jekyll's a good guy? <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe and if, the, if Boris Karloff's going to play Doctor Jekyll, maybe he needs to be kind of a bad guy too. Yeah, right. I mean, this is an Albert and Costello film, so they didn't have a lot of time to go into this huge backstory. So I like this. Yeah, it's it's it is so different, and and it's it's unique. It sets it sets this this version of the film off from some of the other versions. Yeah, so it's great. And one Carlos thing, great, and Carlos charming as Doctor Jekyll. He's elegant. He's you know he's very well suited, like we said, to to this role. And he's definitely you know he's again he's, he's more senior years. He's not too far away from doing uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, right? Because you can hear that in his voice here. At this his voice has reached a timbre here where he's starting to sound a little bit like the Grinch. It's funny. Right. He's a lifelong smoker. And yeah, I mean, this is 50, 57 and Grinch yeah. is 60, 64, 63, yeah. something. So yeah, to your point. Yeah, it's not, um, too, not too far away. Um, but one thing, it kept occurring to me and the Borgo listeners, I think you can appreciate this, reminded me so much. This is Kalos' take on Jekyll. 
as Dr. Nemond in House of Frankenstein. That same, you know, the diabolical, yes. but the charmingness, you know, he had the, you know, kind of that smile, the, 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 the twinkle in his eye, but, you know, with this murderous intent. So I, th- the, I found a outside, lot of par- the outer face. Yes. Right. Exactly. I found a lot of parallels between Karloff's Jekyll and Karloff's Dr. Yeah. Nemond from uh, House of Frankenstein. This film, more than the other four Abbott and Costello uh, monster films, it feels to me like Abbott and Costello are guest starring in a universal monster film. The other ones seem to revolve more around Abbott and Costello's story. This one, they seem to be supporting actors in a, a universal monster story. Like you could almost take Abbott and Costello out of this movie and it would be a sh- shorter film, but it would actually be a, a, Je- a universal Jekyll, Jekyll and Hyde movie. It's interesting. It's funny. You, it's funny you mentioned that, Jim. I didn't make a note of it, but I did consciously think, you know, at some points during this film, I'm like, Wow, I, we haven't seen Abbott and Costello for a long time. They go they go long periods without being in the, in yeah. the film. It's interesting. So you, and then call off too. <laughs> conceivably, you have a forty minute Universal Jekyll and Hyde movie here with right. maybe some plot holes. But yeah, yeah, fine. no, there's a lot of scenes with you know yeah. off and uh, Bruce and Vicky and yeah. and Abbott and Costello are nowhere to be found. And then on yeah, the flip yeah. side, you know when you know Abbott and Costello kind of come back on the screen, you don't see off for the longest time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, there's a lot of hide in this film. You know, the whole probably second act of this film is all hide. Like, you it's don't a, see it's a lot of hide. So it's a lot. Of, yeah, it's a lot of Eddie Parker. Yeah. I will say this film probably has more back and forth transformations of any Jekyll and Hyde film I've ever seen because it's Boris Karloff changes into Jekyll at least and back in or changed into Hyde, I should say, and back into Jekyll at least like three or four times himself. And then Lou Costello changes into first uh, spoilers. Well, we'll get to this. He turns into a mouse and back, and then he turns into his own version of Hyde and back a few, like at least twice. Once the mouse, once is the thing. So, so there's like six or seven transformations. I mean, again, we're talking about the budget, and I will say, like, I'm, I think some of the budget went went there because the the transformation scenes aren't. And we're coming up on on one right now. They're not flawless and amazing, but they're no. they're pretty neatly done, and they're kind of as a kid at least, I thought they were pretty cool. And this is, and Jim, when I'm saying like this looks cheap, again, I, you know, I look at some of the transformations. It's, I think some of the Costello ones, and then you go back 10 years prior, more than 10 years prior, 12 years prior to some of Cheney's transformations. Mm-hmm. The transformations, again, to me, not all of them, they look, they look kind of cheap. Yeah. 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 I, and I will, I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but I, I will suggest that I think to some degree, some of the transformations were harmed by the fact that we're going back and forth between two different actors. Obviously, we're, we're talking, we've talked, uh, length at this point about Eddie Parker doubling Boris Karloff. There was also, there's an actor named, a stuntman and all around guy who did a lot of stuff named Vic Park, who d- would always double uh, Lou Costello. So some of the, Costello does a lot of pratfalls. He can do, he was able to do a lot of physical comedy himself, but he had a guy named Vic Parks who would usually do some of the bigger stunts and some of the falls and, and other uh, slightly dangerous height, height gags and stuff for Lou. And Vic Parks, there's a photo uh, we'll probably put it on the on the website. There's a photo of Vic Parks, and Vic Parks looked a lot like Lou Costello. Very physical, size, shape, and even their face. But I think so. So I think Vic Parks. I don't think Lou Costello was at a place in his career at this point where he wanted to get a whole bunch of makeup put on him and run around. I don't think he did a lot of his when he gets transformed into the mouse when he gets transformed into the hide creature. I don't think he did a whole lot of that. I think that's Vic Parks. And I think these transformations we're talking about that are a little choppy sometimes yep. are because they're taking Luke Costello and making him up and turning him into 
but it's not Luke Costello all the way through the transformation. It's Luke Costello at some point handing off to Vic Parks and likewise with Karloff handing off to Eddie Parker. And you can see there's moments where the faces kind of change shape a little bit. And that's, yep. I think that's a byproduct of, of that. No, and that that's very, very fair, Jim. I mean, at some point, you know, especially with the Costello, we'll call him the Costello Hyde, it's really not makeup. He's wearing a mask. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I think it's like a full face latex prosthetic. And we'll get more into that too. I, yeah. I do think that's a, that's a signature thing of Bud Westmore's team as opposed to what Jack Pierce would have done. And I think we suffer a little bit for that expediency and cheapness that, that yeah. Bud Westmore always went for uh, when Millicent Patrick was not designing his uh, makeups for him. <laughs> Like creature from Black yeah, Lagoon, yeah. like yeah, she yeah. did. There's a lot. There's a lot less. With, with certain exceptions, I'll get into. There's a lot less mobility in the in the face and expressiveness in the hide makeups in in this film than you would have seen had someone like Jack Jack Pierce done. And a little, a lot less of the actors showing through. Absolutely, you know, it definitely definitely does show. Like you said, you look at the Wolfman. You know, I'm thinking, you know, almost 15 years prior, um, yes. just, yes. and then such, you know, one of the things I so adored about Jack Pierce, we've said it a million times, is that his actors, you could, you know, coat them up with makeup, but they could always emote naturally. It's the eyes, it's the mouth, the nose. Yep. You're not seeing that here. And you could still tell who they were. You could tell exactly. who it was, you know. That's yeah, right. No, no That's for, right. for sure. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit uh, sad. And and this why things don't always progress in a linear way, right? Sometimes they kind of go backwards a little bit. And and, and I get it. Like, we're like, Right, like the whole mousy thing. Like it's, I mean, that's that's a comic, a comedy bit. So yeah, I get that, but we we'll get into it. But yeah, so yeah, basically at this point, so we just had the whole rabble rousing Royal Rumble right. in the park. Everyone got arrested. So basically now, so, well, Carlos has gone back to his. Uh, I'm sorry, Jekyll has gone back to his laboratory now. He's kind of regrouping and he's realizing that 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 this young reporter guy is going to be, you know, trying to take Vicky away from him. And he realizes he has to do something about it. He he gets shown the paper and stuff. He's got an so he's got this assistant named Batley, right? Mm. And um Batley's playing by John Dierkus. I think I'm saying Dierkus's name right, who's this gigantic big dude with a glowering forehead. And he's not a Rondo Haddon, but he, he's closer to Rondo Haddon than he is. Boris Karloff, right? Yeah. In, in appearance. You remind me of like Lurch from like the Adams family. Yeah, he definitely looks like Lurch. He's I don't think he suffered from gigantism, but he definitely had maybe a little thyroid something going on there or something like that. Cause he definitely had to look. He's a great actor. He's in um, you know, what other film we love he's in. He's in uh The Thing from Another World. Oh wow. In just a, okay. in just a few years from now. Yeah. Nice. Um, and he's he plays a scientist. He's a super well-spoken erudite kind of guy uh, up at the North Pole and stuff like that. But he goes on to be in the Mega Man with uh, Tron Heston. Definitely. Yeah. He's a face, uh, you know, maybe only a mother could love. But yeah, yeah you're not going to forget him. Ton of character. Yeah. So I guess my point was going to be after the whole rabble rousing scene. So Slim and Tubby called into the inspector's office and they're okay. fired. So these guys now, and it kind of comes into the, the plot point a little bit later on. So these guys are no longer employed, at least with the, the London bodies, the London police department. That's right. So now they kind of, now, you know, I guess to, to keep the plot moving along, they're now trying to fight their way back onto the force. And I think some of their, you know, Ab, Abbott being kind of the thinker of the group comes to the conclusion <laughs> like, that, man, if comparison, we, at least if comparison, at least, right, exactly. <laughs> He's the, he's the he's the he's the butthead to to Costello's beat. Right? <laughs> well done, exactly. Yeah, but butthead Abbott brains the uh, operation. The conclusion that hey, there's a monster still lurking around, you know, aka mm-hmm. Hyde. That hey, if we can catch this monster, you know, maybe Inspector will, will you know allow us back on the force. So that's yes. now yeah. Yeah. another. So that plot. that's their motivation. The rest of this thing, they're they're sort of on their own in investigating all these all these murders and crimes and and what have you. Exactly um, right. So yeah, as Jim had mentioned, goes back to the a Jekyll returns back to his lab and he's got the whole rotating 
bookshelf thing, which I just absolutely adore. I always take a oh, young yeah. Frankenstein there and put the yes. candle back. <laughs> I always love that. And and he has he he sits down and he he has this little. It's a little bit unfortunately expository where he talks about his experiments, how he's turned into Mr. Hyde and how Mr. Hyde's gaining more control. And he's, he needs to stop doing this. This is not good. But then he's like, yeah, but this guy's going to take Vicky away from me. So I guess I better do it and take care of him. So was it like, maybe just one more time, right? It's real addict behavior. It's funny. I mean, he's really become addicted to becoming Hyde and using Hyde to get what he wants. I felt like at one point he was almost talking to Hyde. Did you get that? Or I mean, he was definitely certainly talking certainly talking to himself, but at one point I almost felt like he was having like a conversation, almost like a Norman Bates and and mother, like there were dual person, like a dual existence going on. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like his internal monologue is, is, is exterior now. Um, Right. 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 But, but this is where he does. You're right. He, He refers to him as Mr. Hyde a few times. And as far as I can see this last, time or two i've watched the film it's the only time anyone refers to the person jekyll turns into as mr hyde the rest everyone else just calls him the monster which which makes sense because how would they know what his name is if he can't talk and he is truly a monster exactly every other mr hyde you know he's he's an aggressive kind of you know asshole but yeah yeah, he talks he picks up women he's and he he introduces himself as that name so that's how people know and and then and then also in within most of the versions jekyll says like oh i i've i've hired an assistant mr hyde you might see him coming and going sometimes right Um, i think most of the movies too like uh dr jekyll is clearly right-handed so he'll you know write a letter and you know in the in cursive with oh, kind of you know the arching mm-hmm. to the right side being a right-handed you know scripter and hyde was always a lefty so all his notes were you know kind of left-facing script interesting interesting, interesting. Yeah. also also sort of like you know what was known as like the devil's hand right like you know, yes. people were left-handed, like nuns made the bounce balls and stuff in in, in, in religious <laughs> schools and stuff, um, trying to work that out of them. Uh, he, yeah, so he goes on and on about about you know about hide and stuff like that. But then he decides he has to do it, and this is he. So he he uh, takes out a needle and charges it and puts it in his arm, and you know he does he does a Lugosi, right? But he, yeah, he does. He's basically <laughs> kind of letting the dog off the leash, and yes, yeah, yeah, he wants to get Bruce. So yeah, kind of you know dopes himself up with this concoction and turns into Hyde. And then that kind of brings us on to another scene where we have Vicky at the performance hall doing yet another number. And she's got, you know, the, the dancers behind her. It, it's fun. I mean, the great songs, great dancing. And Bruce is there, you know, kind of, you know, giving her the Google eyes. We, we can see why Vicky was front and center in the suffragette dance number, because she's obviously a professional at this. This is what she does. for Right. Exactly. I'm not sure why if Dr. Dr. Jekyll's her ward and, and takes care of her and all her needs and, I'm not sure why she has to dance in a vaudeville act. Uh, maybe she does it because she likes it. She doesn't need the money. I, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. I, I'm unclear what her financial situation is, but you know, it, it's a good excuse for her to put on a little skimpy outfit and dance around a little bit. Um, maybe it's, it's probably the same reason why we podcast, just labor of love, I guess. That's that's right. Without the, without um, the skimpy outfits, by the way. Yeah. No, we, no. Well, speak for yourself. That's uh, true. You can't <laughs> see what I'm wearing. Uh <laughs> Helen Westcott, I mean, she's great in this film. And obviously, again, like we said, she, she's quite a knockout. I'm not sure she's, I get this vibe that she's not really thrilled with this role <laughs> she's, she's oh, yeah. doing between the dancing and between all the, the, the really blunt dialogue where she's like, Henry, Jekyll, are, are you really turning into a monster and killing people? Like she's got a few really dumb lines and I'm not sure she's like, 
I, I, I've never heard anything about her not being happy about this role, but I could see her going like, well, maybe it's a stepping stone. I don't know. Yeah. And I got to be honest with you. I don't know anything about her. I don't think I've yeah. seen, I, I try to go through IMDb as much as I can, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't know any of her other performances. I don't, I know nothing about Helen. Yeah. She's not, she's not like an Evelyn Anchors or something. It's not like we keep seeing her popping up right. again and again right. and again. This is kind of a bit of, definitely within the Immersal Monster can. This seems to be a bit of a one-off, but she's, she's quite smashing. She's very yes. much a, a woman of the fifties. She doesn't look like Zita Johan. She doesn't look like she doesn't look like evelyn anchor she doesn't you know she looks like a a, a woman of the she's a more of a because we're getting more into this 53 we're getting more into like the blonde bombshell kind of like marilyn monroe era uh, right uh, here right um, post yeah, exactly post-war you know these poster yeah. Yeah. bombshells um and she she has that kind of those cheekbones and a slightly rounder face and there's a great little number right after that dance number that it it looks like it's kind of a josephine baker's imp- like style mm. thing with this this other woman dancing and there's like palm trees and a crescent moon that makes you want to think maybe it's India or something in the backdrop. And then there's this kind of like guy in a monster outfit. Like he's all like covered in like, it almost looks like some of the, the characters in the Lion King on Broadway. Look, you know, it's a great number. And um, exactly. Yeah. With and, and that guy, in the, the guy in the monster mask obviously plays into some of the chase scenes later on and stuff. So it's, it's a nice little setup for that. Yeah, no, it is a fantastic, you know, huge mask with the big fangs. And um, yeah. like you said, that kind of becomes a prop a little bit later on in the film, but yeah, at this point now, so Hyde is, um, I guess off the leash and we kind of see him, you know, skulking around the performance center. So um, Bruce and Vicky are talking in the hallway and then we see kind of Hyde peeking through the windows and a great scene of, you know, obviously Eddie Parker scurrying up this um you know it's like a i don't know, like a drain pipe or yeah yeah um, like a monkey yeah no he's, yeah, he's, he's totally he's, like a monkey he's, he's he's super adept and stuff and i don't think it's sped up or anything you can see him like you know he just screws it up there um one, one thing that kind of caught me off guard not off guard a little bit but not to be overly critical of this film but certainly scenes i'm sure I, I guarantee you pick this up were filmed in reverse like you could see him climbing like say climbing up a fire escape ladder but yet his coat was like flailing on the bottom so it's oh clearly, interesting so, so yeah they're running and they're you know they're, he's climbing down and then they're running in reverse exactly yeah if you um, go back and look at it there's quite a few scenes it seemed yeah. like it was most of the exterior scenes but yeah he'll be like climbing up yet as the bottom of his coat's like flailing yeah. and then he kind of does like an awkward movement at the top of the ladder it's like some but, of that hollywood trickery we employ right. fool you guys when right. you watch our movies if you're watching this film yeah watch this hide film if, if, if i played anything in reverse no i did i did i did a scene in a little short where, where a vine reaches out and wraps itself around a woman's ankle and, and yanks her I started with it wrapped around the woman's ankle and then pulled it off and then ran in reverse. So it looks like sometimes those old tricks really work well. And, and, and in these films they do too. Like sometimes, sometimes the dumb things are really effective. It's pretty funny. It, I mean, I'm a huge fan of um, like the Shaw brothers films of the seventies, like the Kung Fu. Yeah. I mean, I, I love those reverse, uh, those reverse shots of like them oh, right, 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 chopping right, right, off rooftops like and yeah. the treetops. And I'm just, I'm a sucker for that. So yeah. I'm not complaining at all. I think it's, it's very, uh, sometimes, sometimes you get away with it. Sometimes you don't. Uh, so Slim and Tubby, have, have now they, they spotted Hyde climbing up the drain pipe uh, into the dance hall and they followed him in and again this is their, their whole idea they're they're gonna they're gonna catch the monster and in doing so get back in the good graces of the in, the inspector who's there who you know was their boss who fired them so they they run into the dance hall and they're gonna start investigating around yeah a lot of Scooby Doo stuff I mean we we seem to be using mm-hmm. that term a lot more and I love it this kind of Scooby Doo gags of you see somebody walk through a doorway and you open up the doorway they're gone but yet they appear right behind you. Or, you know, you turn a corner and, you know, they tap you on the shoulder, you turn around and they're gone. So, and there's a few of these scenes, it feels like it goes on in the music hall just a little bit too long. Just kind of repeating <laughs> these same these same gags. This, um, this bit this bit does 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 go a bit. Lou Costello in within the concept of uh, so 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 Bud, Bud Abbott is the straight man in, in in vaudeville terms. Bud Abbott's the straight man, and Lou Lou's the funny guy. 
so Bud in these films usually plays a guy who who's who's pretty straight laced, no nonsense, button down, you know, kind of dude. Lou Costello is more given to flights of fancy and imagination and stuff. But but the two things that that seem to always orbit around Lou Costello's world is it's either he's aware that or it's either there's a monster all like right near him or around him and he's not aware of it. Right. And that's mm-hmm. funny because he's, he's walking around thinking whatever, or he's the only one who realizes there's a monster and nobody believes him. And, and they, they go back and forth between those things a lot in all these movies and many times within each, each film itself. And, and this little chase scene where they're sort of trying to find hide in the dressing rooms. Um, there's a lot of that where he thinks he's in a closet. He's not in the closet. It turns out it's, 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 slim in the closet and 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 tubby baps him in the head and stuff there's a lot of good stuff like that it is yeah and when you compare again we're not trying to compare films but something that they did so well and i'm gonna get solo meeting frankenstein with some of those scenes when you know the the deliveries where the boxes were first brought into the museum and like you yeah. said costello is the only one that sees dracula coming out of the box of course and he's trying to alert everybody and man that is so i mean it's funny it's charming it's great, it, and it, it takes an, a long time, and they they give it a lot of time, and it builds so well and it perfectly and stuff. Exactly, like that. And, and there's ma- and, and there's there's magic to it, and yes. it didn't quite happen here in this film. And I don't know if it's because I just don't think it was either done as well, or maybe it just feels like kind of old hat because it, they did it so well in in Frankenstein. I I think they did. I think they used up a lot of their juice on that, and and a yes. lot of the gags in this are kind of recycled or reworked bits. Yeah, uh, from that. Or they're sort of, they're just not as imaginative. They're just sort of half things. There's just a lot of him reaching out towards him and just missing him and stuff. Um, stuff you end up seeing again in Scooby-Doo and other films later on, you know, exactly. or, you know shows and stuff, things are inspired. But yeah, um, it just, again, this is, it was, you know, when I'm trying to, you know, think back what makes, you know, Abner Gensel Frankenstein such a, just a monumental, yes. just a, a piece of art, just a yes. great, great film. And this is just to me, I mean, this is just me talking. This is second tier to something like that. And it's just like little things like that, that again, yeah. I don't know if it's just like the imagination or they just, they seem, I don't know if it's just a little yeah. bit the bored. Has real moments. It has definite moments, but, yeah. um, but, but overall, no, I, I would definitely agree. And maybe that's just Charles Lamont versus Charles Barton. Maybe that's just the, the writing. I, I don't know. It's very claustrophobic. This, this bit within the, uh, the dressing rooms and they're all, you know, crammed in and stuff and looking for them and stuff like that. But it's, yeah, it's, it, it works. Okay. I think we're almost at the scene here where we've got the, uh, that, that monster mask kind of comes back. Oh yeah. 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 He see, yeah. He goes in the dressing room after the guy dressed as the monster and the guy pulls his mask off and, and, you know, he thinks he's a monster and then he pulls his mask off and it turns out obviously it's just this very effete actor mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's pretty offended at, at these guys being in there. And, but then we, we circle back with that where he sees the mask again and turns out it actually is hide inside the mask and he pulls the, he's like, ah, oh, pull that mask off. You're being whatever. And, and it turns out it's, it's actually hide. It's, it is. it's all, it's all fun stuff. Well, then this- motivation here. I'm not exactly sure what he thinks he's doing, except, except being funny, a funny foil to, you know, Abner Costello. <laughs> right. He's there uh, to kill Bruce, but at this point right. now, right. He's just, it's just this tomfoolery that he's kind of wrapped up in. Yeah. I think, I think the plan's kind of, yeah, yeah. Gone over. Um, all right. And so, so Hyde eventually escapes onto the rooftops and we have this really nice chase scene where, so Bruce, you know, realizes the Hyde is there and chases him up and then, and then Slim and Tubby follow, follow him up as well. And we've got, I mean, it's really evocative. There's these like great miniature buildings in the distance. There's fog everywhere and he's climbing over these transoms and there's the chimneys and it looks like the, it looks like the scenes in, um, Mary Poppins, to be honest. I love, I love those yeah. scenes up in the rooftops of London in mm-hmm. Mary Poppins. Those are some of my favorite parts of that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know like in, um, I'll go back to like house of Dracula, we call out some of the, 
uh, oh, Dr. Edelman, like some of those, those final scenes of him, like hopping over like the fences and being really acrobatic. Yeah. We see some of the scenes here with Eddie Park. I mean, this guy can move. Oh yeah. 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 And, and I just, I, I could watch a bunch of these scenes. I just love like really cool sets. I love sets. I actually really like sets sometimes in these movies when they don't look hundred percent real. I like it when it looks a little bit like a set. I, I, I like seeing, how do I say this? Like when the craftsmanship is visible, it's kind of like neat. Uh, there's definitely some some uh, Vic Parks stunt doubling going on for for Lou Costello in, in these scenes where he's jumping over something and he misses and he falls. And he gets stuck in a pair of pajamas that's on a clothesline. Right, right, right. You know. I think you made this, that same point, Jim, when we were doing Man Made Monster in that opening scene of the train. And you can clearly oh, yeah. tell it's not a train. Yeah. But, but you had pointed out that you really appreciated the fact that we can look at the skill it took to make that model train. Right. You know, it's kind yeah, of the some, same deal here. Someone made that. Someone did that. Someone built these these little buildings in the distance that are, it's like forced perspective. So these, you know, these buildings that are supposed to be, you know, hides on the roof and these buildings are supposed to be a few hundred feet away and they're supposed to be normal sized giant buildings. They're only like 12 feet tall and they're only six feet away. And that's what we call a forced perspective thing where it's tricking your eye into thinking, you know, and the way to get to really sell that is is always smoke. It, it Because there's such a thing as, just to get into this for a second, there's a thing called aerial perspective where when you see things in distance, there's more air between you and them and they get a little hazier and bluer. And that's why mountains like, get paler as they recede in the distance when you see them. Luckily, there's plenty of fog and smoke up here on the rooftops of London. And those buildings in the background look great. They're they just- look great. This gr- It's dimension, right? And this is an yeah. issue I had with like She-Wolf yeah. of London, where I felt it was just, and I think you yes. too, it felt so flat, so two-dimensional. Yeah. When you go back, you know, to 41's Wolfman, it felt so, de- like those forests felt so deep. Yeah, the depth um, and, of it. Yeah, no, no yeah, for sure. Yeah, the depth, exactly. And that's that's just something. And, and fo- but fog's tough to control and you have to lock down a set. You have to, um, you can't have, the, the doors open, you, you're stuck on there. And once you fog it up, you, you're, you have to keep added. So you have consistency and it doesn't, you know, there's not a continuity error and stuff. So yeah, it's tricky stuff. So um, one, one thing I made a note of, and I, I, and I don't know this for a fact, and you know, maybe a listener can, can help us out here, but so Hyde is up on the roof. So this great rooftop scene and Hyde, obviously Eddie Parker, who doubled in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. So Hyde has a few growls here and man, it took me right back to Frankenstein meets Wolfman, where I don't, oh. know if, I'm not sure if Lugosi, um, some of the growls were, were dubbed or whatever, but man, it it felt really very very similar. That it wouldn't, and I don't know this for fact, but if Eddie Parker was growling for Lugosi and Frankenstein Wolfman, it sounds very similar to some of the Hyde's growls. Interesting, interesting. I wonder if they caught him in his audio doing that. They they very well might have if he was, if he was doubling him. They would have not even thought twice about. Maybe we should have Bella Lugosi come in and dub the growls. I don't think. I don't think that was. I don't think Universal valued Lugosi's pride enough to do something like that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. It's very distinctive. I mean, it's it's not. It's not a Frankenstein growl. And it's not a a uh, Lon Chaney Jr. Wolfman growl. He's got his own thing going on. I mean, Parker. I know he doubled more for the Wolfman in that movie, and it was Gil Perkins who doubled for Lugosi. But and again, yeah. I mean, listen to it. Any listener going back and you know, wants to watch this film. Listen to some of those growls and see, you know, maybe see if we're onto something or not. Oh, interesting. Know. Okay. Yeah. So Hyde goes and sneaks, he goes through a, a skylight or a transom or something, and he sneaks into this wax museum. Yep. Yep. Um, which gives us a great moment where we get to see the Frankenstein monster and Count Dracula as wax dummies occupying their normal place in what it would have been a so good. museum. So there's a nice callback, right? Which is kind of fun. So I remember back when we first started this podcast, Jim, and I, feel, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember you sending me stills yeah. that Dracula. Were you convinced or you really thought that might have been Bela Lugosi? I, 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 okay. 
So, so yeah, there's a Dracula guy standing there. And there was a moment where I would look at him and I would be like, you know, what if they just hide? I mean, because it, it's definitely not a wax dummy. It's a real person they yeah, made up. Because, for sure. And anyone who wants to be an actor in Hollywood, let's just be honest about, you know, the realities of things. It's cheaper to hire you to stand there really still for a scene than it is to create a, a wax dummy. You don't you're not as valuable as that. That's just the reality of being an actor in Hollywood. OK, <laughs> but I was thinking like, well, Lugosi at this point, he would have been really he would have come really cheap for a day. Like, what if they just made him up and had him stand there? And the guy they got, I'm to a point where I'm about 99 percent sure that's not the case. And I've I've shown that still to a few people. Yep. that are very familiar with Lugosi and they've also been like, yeah, I think the mouth is wrong. I think a few things are wrong. My thinking was maybe they made him up a lot. Now I'm, I look, I think they just found someone, but they, I think they found someone who looked quite a bit like Lugosi. It's a great likeness. Yeah. I remember, yeah. you know, and we went back and forth for a couple of days. We, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was like side-by-side -side comparisons. I think that, yeah, there's something I want to say like with the chin, something yeah, I think the, would have been mouth really- and chin aren't, aren't quite yeah, right. right. I also, now I look at him, I realize I, he's not, I don't think he's tall enough. Costello is five foot five and Lugosi was six foot something. And even let's, let's say, you know, he's, he's in his twilight years and he's, he's gone down to maybe six foot. He still doesn't look as tall. He doesn't seem to tower over Costello enough to, to make that make sense. So it's definitely, I think they just found, they found a good actor though. He stands very still. He looks, he looks quite believable. He's got a little mustache and goatee. He looks kind of Mephistophelian. He's kind of neat. I don't know who they found to play the Frankenstein monster. Cause it's not Glenn Strange. It's very obvious. It's not Glenn Strange. And, you know, the gag of this is that in Frankenstein or Abin Costa meet Frankenstein, they're supposed to be wax dummies. You know, the actual Frankenstein monster and, and, and Dracula are delivered to McDougal's House of Horrors with him thinking they're wax figures. And it turns out they're actually the real Frankenstein monster and the real Dracula. Right. So in this, we get a chance to no, they this time they're actually maybe our wax dummies maybe they're not because definitely the frankenstein monster walks a little bit man i want to go back and rewatch it so yeah it's, it's a fun uh they so get fun. to quote themselves it's kind of fun it's so fun yeah like you said like he gets bombed on those electrical wires and we have like the jolting um you know we see it in 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 albert castell frankenstein like with dracula's ring going near the neck bolts and you get that that little you know zap of lightning you know kind of see that here coming out of these cables but yeah it is it's a really really fun scene and yeah. You know, Costello's in full Costello mode, just running around screaming yeah, and yelling yeah. for Abbott, and just, um, just yeah, manic, crazy, crazy, totally manic, stuff, right, right. Um, bouncing around. Lou Costello uh, definitely by this point was he was kind of notorious for he he didn't really he wasn't incredibly dedicated to getting his lines memorized, and so he and he and Bud Abbott would improvise a, a little bit, you know, with the dialogue, and that's why sometimes, especially you get to this point, you see some of the, some of the the dialogues a little loose and looks it looks a little improvised he had problems with a lot of things he didn't you know he, he luke Costello at this point had quite an ego and and that's again why i'm and deservedly so he was a big name guy at this point he he wanted to change abbott and costello to costello and abbott so it caused a little bit of a strain between these two guys because he felt like he was really carrying the things he's doing most of the physical comedy he's doing most of the the, the gags and stuff but abbott's just kind of staying there but abbott meanwhile is he he has epilepsy he deals with his epilepsy by drinking and he, and he drink at this point, he's drinking quite a bit. So unfortunately, Ab Abbott has his own issues, but for all that, this is, this is maybe the most physical I've, I've movie I've seen, Bud Abbott in of this era of, of their career, he does a lot of jumping and climbing and, and running. He does. Um, no, he has a couple of falls and you know, they're definitely yeah. him. So, yeah, so but, he's doing pretty good. I don't. I mean, he he might. He was just in a good place in 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 this film for sure. Because so one thing I gotta say, Jim, before we go too too far. So this museum scene. So a couple of things popped into my mind. 
that we have not seen Kyle off in a long time. Yeah, that's just a note I make, and it's, it's I felt like the minute I made that note, we see we see Kyle off, and we'll get there. That little right, right. Scene. No, no, the movie does balance it pretty well, and and just like we hadn't seen Abner and Costello in a while too, and suddenly now they, they show up, and we have a whole big scene with them. And I don't know if that they figured that out in the story so that they could have days off, and they could, Costello also is is dealing with a few years before this, Costello's uh, son drowns in their pool. It kind of right before I think they made Frankenstein. I'm pretty sure, and I think that changed his perspective as, as it would anybody's uh, quite a bit. And maybe, maybe this stuff wasn't quite as important to him now that he was pretty successful and well off. That changes in a few years when, when the IRS realizes that Abner and Costello have not been paying their taxes properly and seizes quite a bit of their assets, including because these guys had interest in the profits of all these movies, which helped be, make them as wealthy as they were, but they lose that too. So, you know, it, within two years of this movie, Abner Costello are dumped by Universal. Universal was pretty good at just sort of dumping people that made them a lot of money, right? Yeah, so right around the time of, you know, the 50s was kind of the Martin Lewis duo was kind of, you know, they were like the the newest thing. And, you know, yeah. Abner and Costello were a little bit played out um, and, you know, kind of yeah. oversaturated in the market. And mm-hmm. um, they're, they're unfortunately, years away from Buck Privates at this point. They've been yeah. running, they've been riding this horse pretty high for a while now. It's not like they lost their homes, like, you know, to your point, yeah. like they really, they were on the, it just shows you why it's important, I guess, to be humble and be, be responsible with your, your money and your assets. Cause you can go from zero to zero and, and so hire funny. a good account, you know, I mean, hire the account that's going to help you out, but also isn't, isn't going to get you in this kind of trouble. I think right. Willie Nelson would attest to that as well. Um, <laughs> didn't he get in trouble? Wesley Snipes, all those guys. Slim runs in and here's Tubby yelling. Slim runs in uh, and tries to rescue him. The, the monster uh, Hyde is still running around uh, at this point and Slim goes and gets help and um, leaves Tubby alone and Tubby has to, you know, deal with deal with this thing again. Um, and eventually he manages to trick the 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 monster and get him trapped in uh, there's like a jail cell set right for the for the wax museum that I, that happens to be real. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, more yeah. or less. I can see yeah. the bars bending when when he's when he's grabbing him, but you know, but <laughs> but he locks Hyde in the in the jail and then runs to go go get get Slim. And here we have our second transformation where Hyde is turning back into Jekyll, you know, and back into uh, Boris Karloff. Slim this might comes- be the best one in the film. Uh, it's he, he's they, they managed to get him in that point where he's holding onto the bars and and he's pretty locked in and steady. They might have been able to brace him pretty well. Uh, so, so the the transformation is pretty fluid. This is again definitely one of the best ones. They did a really nice job with the the eye transformation. Again, two different actors, yeah, two different colored eyes. But man, they they do. This is definitely, I think, the best transformation in the film. And you know, unfortunately, yeah, Tubby has you know done all he can to you know secure this monster. I think the inspector, <laughs> the inspector's now has been has been called in, and Bruce, the reporter, has been called in. Everyone to basically you know Tubby's so proud of himself for trapping. Hide when it turns yeah. out it looks like he's just pushed this well-renowned and respected Doctor Jekyll, <laughs> this prominent this, senior citizen, into a prison. <laughs> right into this jail cell, locked it up, and now he looks like the biggest moron yes. ever. And it's 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 a funny scene, and you know they're in the spot, and the inspector is just further annoyed with them. But the the film finds an interesting way to to keep the story going, where Jekyll, in, in his in you know within the whatever he his whatever plans he's hatching hires slim and tubby to walk him home and to be like stay overnight and kind of be his like bodyguards right yeah they're gonna play him pay him them five pounds to basically sleep over at his house 
Right. And obviously, you know, Jekyll has, you know, ulterior motives that he wants yeah. to, you know, experiment on them. And, you know, Tubby, who again, in the, you know, in Albert Costello, Abbott's always kind of the, the thinker of the group and Costello's the physical comedy act. Right. But it, 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 Tubby's the one that kind of goes to uh, Slim and says, hey, I think they're the same person. I mean, he knows exactly who he threw in that that <laughs> yeah, cell. Exactly. He knew he put this monster in a cell, and all of a sudden it's Jekyll. So he brings it to Slim to Slim's attention that I think they're one and the same. Yeah. And you know, this kind of starts not quite Act Three, but you know, now it's it's kind of been put out there, and now they start kind of unraveling clues throughout. And once we get back to Jekyll's mansion, mm-hmm. that shit, I think Tubby might have been onto something here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It turns out, and and there's, I think there, I I think. Costello's characters he plays uh, resonate with with kids a lot because he he plays a very childlike innocent character in most of their films. Uh, you know he's always he drinks sarsaparilla instead of beer. He's 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 shy with girls and 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 what have you. You know as opposed to you know uh, Abbott tends to play these these more like I said like buttoned up straight laced guys. Yeah, so they go back to to Jekyll's house and um, yeah he's going to have them stay over. Yeah, and and Slim is obsessed with this five pounds they're going to make because again remember they're out of work. They got fired from the constabulary. So so they're gonna bunk up uh, in in a, in a little bedroom upstairs, and Abbott or uh, I should say Slim immediately goes to sleep, but but Tubby can't fall asleep. Because- but but again, yet again, another scene that again Abbott is off camera, Slim is off camera, and it's all about Tubby Costello being the proactive yeah. one. Yet again, yeah, yeah. again, to your point, Jim, maybe, you know, Costello just held, you know, so much power in his hand that, but this, this is turning into a Lou Costello film. And so yet again, so Slim is in bed and Tubby takes it upon himself to start exploring this mansion. And it's a really yeah. fun scene and ultimately finds Jekyll's laboratory where there's, you know, caged animals. And it was kind of funny, like a rabbit starts barking like a dog and like you yeah. know, none of these animals are right. So they've all been obviously experimented on. J- Jekyll's getting a very poor rating from PETA, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but he, there's, there's a, a, a great bit where, where Batley is stalking Costello the whole time. And, you know, he's got this really tall, creepy dude chasing this little, little mm-hmm. tubby guy. And no matter where he goes, ba- you know, Batley keeps keeps showing himself like Batley's a neat like because uh, Jekyll. Jekyll in the book has an assistant, I think, and I can't remember the assistant's name, but but in that way, it does kind of stay true to them. And Badley's sort of his go-to, like like Jekyll sends Badley off to kill people and 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 take care of business and tie up loose ends as well. So he likes to be the administrator, right? He doesn't yeah, like oh, doing the dirty work himself. He's too delicate. Yeah, and Badley's kind of another. One. He kind of reminds me of like Morgan from Old Dark House, like this big mm-hmm. brooding, but doesn't speak, just kind of a grunting. Yeah, he mumbles. He he has his own kind of like weird, you know. Yeah. Um, he's intelligent. He shows him like a newspaper saying like, "Hey, hide, kill the guy," and stuff like that. You know, he's, it's like he's mute or he doesn't have a tongue or it's it's one of that type type of yeah maybe he was experimented on yeah exactly yeah tubby's down there and he discovers there's this there's this whole uh secret laboratory where jekyll and and it's a it's a great set too by the way it's like you know it's got like smoking liquids and 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 you know again like as before mentioned uh animals in cages and you know there's actually stuffed animals like like taxidermy stuff on the wall it's a it's a nice little set it is this is fun this is where this money being spent here you know i did call this Mm -hmm. Film looked a little bit cheap. Not the laboratory set. This does look really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't want to fast forward too, too much, but yeah, we can get to the uh, kind of that mouse transformation scene if you want, Jim. That's kind of fun. But that that happens down here. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, well, Jekyll 
comes down and well, well uh, slim comes down and Jekyll is woken to by all the shouting mm-hmm. uh, as tubby has this altercation with badly. And then he's like, Oh, there's, you know, he's got like a, a scary little uh, mad scientist laboratory. And they're like, and Jack and Jekyll's like, well, no, I did. It's, it's yes. I have a laboratory. It's just a, you know, it's just where I do my research and badly kind of escapes and, and, and goes and hides. Jekyll brings them down and shows them, no, it's just, you know, a normal laboratory and all this fun stuff. But what happens is badly leaves a, an elixir out that he's been mixing uh, uh, conceivably for the, for the animals to, to test on them. Yep. And while Jekyll goes into the other room to fire up a solution, he's going to take care of slim and tubby right now. Cause he realizes they're dangerous. They've seen his lab and everything while this is happening. Lou or tubby, I should say drinks the potion and turns into a mouse. And like he, they, and there's a good transformation thing where he, they, they go out walking and he kind of leans against the thing and he starts slowly and we do the the laps dissolve thing that Universal does so well with Wolfman and everything else, and you know somewhat well with this. Yeah, so he thinks. I mean, he thinks it's like a, a a thing of water. So you know, he's yeah. he's parched from doing all his running around, drinks the water, then he and you know Slim take off, and they basically kind of reconvene in a pub. So at this point, Tubby right. hasn't changed yet, so they're sitting in this bar room. Or, you know, maybe Tubby's like changing as they're walking into the he, bar. He changes cause... in the street and then they go yeah, in yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. but Slim, for one reason or another, isn't looking at him. He's caught up in like what they're going to do about this this problem and stuff. And, um, right. He's, and, like, uh, very, he's like very obviously not trying to look at him. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and there's a, it's a funny bit where, you know, there's, there's, two, um, there's two drunks in the bar and then there's the bartender. Yep. One by one, they keep experiencing Tubby with this. I mean, it, it's definitely it's definitely a full mask prosthetic. It's something that he has over his, his head or somebody has over his head again. And again, I, I'm pretty sure it's, it's Vic parks doing most of this. Cause he looks, he looks a little slimmer than Lou Costello. Yeah. Um, and but, like, to your point, I'm sure Costello isn't, you know, he's not all about putting on some, some mouse mask, but I mean, it's fun. Like, yeah, the two drunks, they, they see this human mouse and they just attribute yeah. it to them being, you know, just right, right, of course. And loaded and blah, blah, blah. And then finally, finally, finally slim, turns around and looks at tubby it just passes out i mean like drops dead on the floor yeah <laughs> it's kind yeah, of yeah 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 he passes out sees him again and passes out again and then again and then, right. and then costello sees it sees his own face and passes out as well and, <laughs> and when he passes out he 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 uh he turns back into a thing right and they're they're mystified by this but but they realize slim figures out very quickly in in a, in a very good detective work that it's it's because tubby drank that drink is at 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 Hyde's or, or Jekyll's. So they, they, they go to the inspector. I don't know if they've really put the whole thing together yet, but they've, they're like, no, uh, Dr. Jekyll's a, a mad scientist. He's experimenting. He's turning cat, you know, he's turning dogs into cats or, you know, giving, making, making monkeys moo. And, and then he turned him into a mouse and he's like, where did this happen? They're like, it, it happened in a pub. And like, so, you went to a pub and you turned a mouse and you saw him as a mouse. So he just thinks they've been drunk. Right. We see this a lot in the movies, right? Like the, you know, the inspector, you know, the, the chief of Scotland Yard, like he, he gets some, you know, silly Bobby. Because you see it in like um, Invisible Man. Yeah. You know, they, they phone in. Oh, they, so there's an invisible man running around. Like, you know, where are you? Oh, we're at the, you know, Lion's Head Bar. Yeah, yeah, have, you have a, stop drinking during work hours. Finish, finish what you started. Yes. Right. Exactly. It's kind of like this. Obviously, you know, someone calls you up and says there's a human mouse and blah, blah, blah. You're not believing, especially somebody yes. like, Dr. Jekyll, who's like this renowned, respected doctor. So basically, Inspector is, you know, out. He doesn't want to hear any part of this. So we have now this party of Slim Tubby, Vicky, and Bruce, who now all believe that something is, you know, kind of a mess with Jekyll, confront him at the house. And, you know, basically, are you, you know, are you using chemicals to change people and animals? And, you know, yeah. of course, yeah, Vicky, what are you going to say? doesn't want to believe it, but they're being persuasive about what they saw. Bruce is sort of on the fence. 
he, yeah, Vicky he see- as a reporter, he needs proof, right? I mean, Vicky, for, I mean, for Jekyll, for helping her for as many years as he has, Vicky seems really quick to just just turn on him. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, she's she's definitely in some kind of denial, I think, because I I don't I think it's kind of obvious that, that Jekyll has lustful urges for her. I think it's lustful to anyone around. I think she's managed to convince herself that that's not the case. But I think maybe deep down, she she's somehow we're really interpreting a lot here for a yeah. Abbott and Costello movie. But, <laughs> <laughs> we're thinking but, about this way more than the writers. So. I'm, I'm approach. I realize I'm approaching this like I approach like one of the much more serious films. But yeah, no, I, I think deep down, maybe she suspects that there's something not quite right about. Yeah, starting to put the starting to put the pieces together, and yeah, this yeah. is when we start seeing like newspaper man, you know, kind of taking charge, and you know, wants to be, you know, taken around the house. And yeah, at this point, you know, Vicky's like, okay, you know, we're so sorry, you know, sorry to interrupt or sorry to, you know, bother you, you know, Doctor Jekyll, blah blah blah. But Bruce is like, but are you no. by chance turning people into monsters? <laughs> <laughs> like she asked him a really blunt question. It's like, why, you know? Right, but right. you know, inside Jekyll's going like, this is all coming apart. This is a mess. Like, mm-hmm. This is. This is no good, but um, yeah, but and he's, Bruce, he's plotting. Bruce. He's trying to figure out uh, what's going on right about here. There's just a moment I just want to mention that, yeah, yeah. that I know. I know we're kind of ragging on Lou and Cost- Abbott and Costello a little bit in this, and and this isn't. Look, I love Abbott and Costello. Not all their movies are great. Some of their movies are fantastic. They're they're not consistently all. Some of them there's a lot of reuse of gags over and over and over again. That's because they're a vaudeville act. They start that's how they started, and in vaudeville you use the same bits over and over again. So. This, you know, their their film career, they found ways to recycle a lot of bits over and over and over again. There's a bit right here where they're they're just standing there, and he, Doctor Jekyll, leads them into his parlor. Everyone follows him. Tubby takes one step, trips over the rug, and falls. And Lou Costello full on does a face plant. Oh yeah. And I don't know if he's like fifty something at this point, but you know, he was really good at doing that. That's something else that came from vaudeville was he was he was the physical guy, and he he goes down. They don't speed up the film. He goes down really hard, and he knew how to fall. So he didn't hurt himself and he knew how to fall. So he could do it a few times because sometimes you have to do multiple takes. Uh, it's a great pratfall. It's really like there's a lost art to the pratfall that I, I think, you know, went away with Buster Keaton and, and later on with people like, like Luke Costello. Oh, it's like a good Cur- bit. Curly Howard. I mean, from the, yeah, again, oh, I mean, yeah. back to the three stooges, I just have yeah. so much love. I mean, yeah. Between him, Luke Costello, I mean, for bigger guys, man, they could just move. And like you said, they these could guys take- could, and they, they could hit the floor in yep. a way that looks so painful, but yep. uh so yeah, so they're in they're in his parlor and they're like, you know, you have a secret laboratory downstairs. And he's like, Oh, you well, I'll show you downstairs. And he takes him down and overnight, Dr. Jekyll and and presumably badly has done a lot of the physical labor here. Um, he's turned the cellar back into a, like a wine cellar. Right. Um, and made it look like just an innocent whatever a cellar would have looked like in a, for a gentleman in London at the time. That's um, right. Yeah, I mean, it is the yeah, wine cellar. And you know, basically I think at some point. Slim and Tubby are left kind of to their own devices and they find a bottle of wine. I think it's called like Musil or something like yeah, that. Yes, yes. And it's, it's, it looks like it says mouse on it. Yeah. Mouse on it. Like it's like Musil, M O U S I L E or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. And this is, we're getting into another comedy gag here. So, you know, Slim's convinced that, oh, that it must be like this mouse this mouse formula in this bottle is trying to convince this Tubby to drink the whole bottle thinking he's going to turn into a mouse. It turns into a mouse. It proves that they're right. 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 So he starts making Tubby drink all this wine and very quickly Tubby gets pretty, uh, pretty inebriated. He just gets drunk and yeah, it looks at, I think it looks at slim and he is the mouse mouse face or kind of a a cool little, cool little gag. Yeah. 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 It's a funny bit. I mean, he plays, he plays drunk quite well. Uh, and then, and then again, like falls off the thing. And I'm pretty sure that's definitely his, his stunt guy falls. Like he goes up the stairs and he falls backwards off the stairs. I'm pretty sure that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, Vic Parks. Meanwhile, upstairs, Bruce, um, 
Yeah, Bru- yeah, Bruce. Bruce They're is engaged. Telling, yeah, hey, you know what? We want to get engaged, and we just want your blessing, Doctor Jekyll. <laughs> so they've known each other. I mean, like five, six hours, maybe like a day. I yeah, th- th- he's moving pretty quick, right? <laughs> oh my god, and I get it. Like she's, you know, she's definitely, uh, you know, she's a keeper. She's, like she's beautiful. It's the best, and... best thing that could happen to Vicky because you know, staying a lot around this guy much longer is not going to literally like less. Well. I want to say less than a day, and they're like, "Yeah, we're going to get engaged. We're getting engaged." And then yeah, Jekyll's off, Jekyll's like, "Oh yeah, you're going to have a wedding very, very soon." And like they, they, they are moving, man. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, um, I, I get. I always laugh about. You know, you, you have to suspend this disbelief now where like if I mean, I, I don't think you have to be a monster movie fan to know that uh, somebody named Dr. Jekyll is someone you shouldn't trust. Uh, it's just like, you know, in the beginning of Dracula, we're like, oh, Dracula. Oh, I'm sure he's a pretty nice guy. Like we. Right. All right. <laughs> that the context of those names now is so obvious. It's really funny. But, you know, here, obviously, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Dr. Jekyll plays it off like, oh, well, if she said yes, then there's nothing more for me to say. I'm so excited for you guys. He's Karloff does that thing. He does it in Invisible Ray or, or, or not Invisible Ray, in, in um, Black Cat and so many other films where when he's playing this psychopath, he can be so polite and, and right. syrupy sweet, right? Oh, he, like he fancies the sincerity. Yes. And um, the sweeter he gets. And the Grinch does this when he talks to little Sally, uh, Hoo, right? Or he's uh, like, he gets, he gets so sweetly friendly and, you know, and the sweeter he gets, the more you realize how diabolical he's he is. screwed, he, right? How he does it. And, he but is. he never, he never really chews the scenery. He never overacts. He just does it. And, and here it's just such a great thing where he's so nice. And then they kiss and it cuts back and Carlos standing there with his little glass of brandy or whatever. And he, and he breaks it with his hands, right? He's getting so, so mad. So good. Seeing them kiss. Oh, so at this point, yeah, I mean, now it really starts unraveling for Jekyll. So I'd say at this yeah. point, we're probably getting in the third act. So yeah. no more Mr. Nice Guy Jekyll. Like he knows he has lost Vicky to this Bruce. So I think in his mind, he wants to now pin the murders on Bruce. So I think, you know, rather than killing Bruce, he wants to turn Bruce into this Hyde monster and basically yes. frame him for all the all the murders. So yeah. it's kind of a cool scene. And this is, you know, when you start seeing, you know, some some physicality between Jekyll and Vicky. So basically Jekyll is kind of, you know, preparing this injection. Well, he, and- he holds he holds Vicky up. She's going to leave with Bruce. And he's like, no, hang on. I want to talk to you about something. And right. he brings her in and then he confesses. He's like, you can't marry him. I'm in love with you. You know, you're mine. I raised right, right. you. I spent all the, you know. And you know, he views her kind of as property. And, and here's where Vicky finally sees the the monster that Jack was aside from turning into one he himself is is a monster he's exactly yep really so yeah exactly yeah so basically the uh you know the the curtain's been dropped and you know Vicky sees Jack for who he is yeah. uh, a little bit of a wrestling match so she slaps the syringe out of Jekyll's hand lands on a, a sofa and I, I he so Jekyll kind of pushes her onto the sofa. And I was convinced, I think the first time I saw this movie, it's like, oh, Vicky's going to be like a hide monster now. I was convinced like she landed on that syringe. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be, <laughs> uh, that'd be amazing. Like a Vicky hide monster running around. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't happen, um, of course. But no, man, no, no, was... of course it, 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 it they, we saved that for, 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 uh, for Tubby later on. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so what happens now is, you know, Jekyll turns away to, to the mirror and, and she's talking with him, begging him to kind of, you know, try to put, put reason in his head. And Jekyll, not, not having to inject himself, actually starts turning in a high. Just the, the anger inside mm. him creates the reaction. And that's, that's, that's very true to the Robert Louis Stevenson book as well, where right. after a point, he no longer needs the thing. Hyde is inside him. And in, in a very incredible Hulk kind of way, uh, it just needs yeah. sort of the right stimulus for, for Hyde to come out. 
And that's um, the Hulk be- was actually very much based on Jekyll and Hyde. That was Stanley's kind of part partial inspiration for the character was that yeah. this this monster's inside me. I'm a very decent guy, but the monster comes out. And that that's again something I think kids can identify with a lot. Well, that seems to be, yeah, the one consistent thing amongst all the Jekyll and Hyde stories is that yeah, Jekyll gets to a point where he's so far beyond redemption that yeah, he doesn't need the formula now to turn into Hyde. He yeah. just, he does like Hyde is now the, taking over. The two dualities are starting to merge a bit, you know, um, yeah. Jekyll's getting lost and Hyde's be taking prominence and stuff. And that's, that's the, the that's right. I, if you want to call it the moral of that story is, is that if you, if you let the beast out too much, the beast eventually starts taking over. This is a great scene. Be- I, I, I'll say so. So, so he turns into, into, into Hyde and Vicky again, you know, finally catching up with the story. It's like, Oh my God, you are a monster. <laughs> Wait a second. Um, <laughs> But what's great in this is, I'm Scott. Let me know if if you agree with me. I think a lot of this scene is Boris Karloff actually in the makeup. I I don't think they go to Eddie Parker right away. He looks just a little different. It definitely turns and he walks towards her, and there's a really good close up of him coming into camera. And I'm I'm very I'm pretty sure. See the close. I'm watching it right now. I think the close ups Eddie Parker, but I think a lot of it is is Karloff in in full hide makeup because. There's moments where he's he's expressing a lot. This whole bit, I think there's where you see the difference and not to take anything away from Eddie Parker, but I think you see the genius of Karloff in his ability to emote even under kind of a heavy well that the we eyes call cumbersome makeup. Their eyes are a bit different. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd have to watch the scene again, but yeah, yeah I mean, it would make total sense for those really close-up scenes to yeah, allow Karloff to to emote and I don't know. And I'm not totally sure. I just think that there's a, there's a scene where he's holding her that I'm pretty sure it looks like, because it actually doesn't look like Eddie Parker. It actually, you know, because we see Eddie Parker as, as Hyde so much that it doesn't look like him. It's definitely not Karloff when he, when he bends over and picks Vicky up, you know, her limp body up from the floor. I'm, I'm definitely sure Karloff's not doing that shot sure. after what he went through and on Frankenstein. And stuff. Well, you know what? We love to give our listeners homework. So listeners, that's your homework. Let yeah. us know. Watch this. Let us. Is that Karloff? Like those, I like guess there's a, maybe like a three or four second scene of where he's, you yeah. know, Hyde is walking towards the camera and you, you do, you see yeah. like a nice close up of the eyes. Because they put out some ads at the time of this movie coming out that showed the step-by-step process of, of turning Karloff into Hyde. They kind of made a, a whole big deal out of, out of that. Mm-hmm. At some point, Karloff was in full Hyde prosthetics. And I just don't know. It just looks like to me, they're cutting back and forth quite a bit. But I think for just a moment or two, you see, you see Karloff in the full thing when he's not having to climb walls and, and jump over things and sure. stuff. Um, and when he's holding her a little bit and uh, that's, that's kind of a special thing. You're like, Oh yeah, no, it's, it's Karloff is high. That's great. Um, All right. Listeners help us out. Do some research. Yeah, help yeah, us and, out and, here. Watch and, the film. And, and let as us always, know. I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong. You know, oh, God, yeah. if, if, if I'm going off on a thing and you're like, you're Jim towns, you're out of your mind. I, it would not be the first time I've heard that. So don't worry <laughs> about it. Uh, Slim and tubby free themselves and get upstairs. And now we have in, in one little scene, we have like a, there's a, and eventually there's five people because Batley shows up. You know, we hear Vicky Hyde's trying to trying to kidnap Vicky, punches out Bruce, Slim and Tubby are fighting him. There's a good I actually really love this bit where Slim falls back and he and he and he sits on that needle you mentioned before with his rear end and and has to pluck it out and he throws it back on the thing. And then and then Hyde grabs him and knocks him down a few more times and he kind of over and over sits on the needle like over and over and over again as he's struggling with with yeah, Hyde. It's- and it's just just that Vicky scream when she really you know knows that things have gone south. with Jekyll screams and then kind of brings everyone up to this room. So yeah, like you yeah. said, Slim and Tubby run in and Bruce 
has some fisticuffs and yeah, you know, Tubby ends up falling on the Luca Stella character, falls on the syringe many, many times and ultimately <laughs> ultimately turns into Tubby Tubby Hyde. Um, yeah. which is really, yes. really fun. Really fun. I think that's a, it's a great idea. But Abbott has a great moment here where he kicks the gun out of Batley's hand. And it's like, yeah, like, like he has like an action scene. Like yeah. I, I love, I love the idea of them. The, these films are, they balance this great balance again, obviously between the comedy and, and the horror. I, I would say the, I'm going to tell me Frankenstein has the most horror percentage of any of these, the, the rest of these, they're definitely not scary, really. I mean, there's a moment or two in this one, but for the most part, it's it's pretty much like, yeah, let's hide. It's kind of, it's just fun. It is. No, and there's just, you know, once we have two hides, it really gets kind of fun that, oh, yeah. you know, and it, it goes, you know, we kind of cut back and forth from the inspector's office that he keeps getting calls that, yes. okay, we've seen the monster in the east side of town. And then like, and he'll go to like the cork board or like his map board, he'll put a little pin in the east side yeah. of town. And then like 30 seconds later, he gets another call. Oh, monster spot on the west side of town. So this poor inspector now he's putting like <laughs> yeah, pins, pins he's all like tearing his, his hair out. Yeah. Doesn't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. Unbeknownst to him, there's multiple monsters yeah. terrorizing this, this right. city. Because because Hyde takes off and then and then uh, Bruce Slim and Tubby take off after him. Tubby very quickly pauses and is like, "I don't feel good," and he turns into his own version of. So you've got you've got like Hyde in like the black top coat and the top hat, and then you've got Tubby Hyde in kind of the derby and stuff. So you know yep. they look similar, but they they just look different enough. Yep. That that we know the difference, but no one else can tell the difference and stuff. And it, and it leads to a lot of fun. Um, there's a whole lot that happens around Hyde Park yes. in, in this movie. I noticed in, in London, which is a real place in London, which I feel like maybe the writers just thought was was clever. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think that's kind of when that that rooftop scene happens where we yeah. something not to go too far ahead, but yeah, we have Bruce, we have the two hides, you know, kind of mm-hmm. circling around that that chimney. And there's a yeah. kind of a fun scene where like the two hides see each other, like they kind of come face to face and scare each other like, and run scare off. Scare each other away, yeah, right? yeah, which yeah, is yeah. kind of fun. And then there's like a chimney sweep guy that kind of pops up who's right. on like dirty He's all soot-faced and stuff. He looks you know, like Dick Van Dyke and thank Bob. you, thank you. Um, no, and you know, there's there's whole good bits where where a lady has a baby and she goes to put him in the baby carriage and it turns out, yeah, I think it's Tubby Hyde is in the baby carriage. Yes, and yes, yes. Scares a bunch of guys <laughs> and makes them jump in lakes and stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's just. The and he, and he, of course Hyde uh, interrupts a, a, another suffragette meeting and makes them all run off. So we we get to like recycle that a little bit. Yeah, so um, I feel like whatever like this five ten minutes of this movie, it moves really fast and it's, it's really good. good. There's a lot of really good bits, and it's not oh, yeah, over the he's, top. He's jumping on car- he jumps. Yeah. They, they dispatch all these cops and 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 into a like a paddy wagon that's a horse drawn thing, yep. and then Hyde jumps on and starts driving the wagon. And it's like the three-person bike. He falls on like, and then he jumps on that. Yeah, he rides on the back of these transoms and stuff. Yeah, um, these dogs chasing stuff. Really and fun. It, really, really all, fun. And they might they use so much of the Universal backlot in this. And so, some of it looks definitely authentic, and some of it, some of it, I think they're kind of in like Western Town a little bit because they just the the chase moves over with so much real estate. It's incredible, and it all looks great. I mean, on, uh, no matter where where it is, I, th- there's definitely some of it that's in like old the old European town that we know so well from uh, Wolfman. You know, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman in the, in the Monster Mash movies. You know, and going back to like say Fra- like Albert Kitsola meets Frankenstein, I feel like there's probably a few you know a few different scenes that have this like adrenaline that like you just excited and you're like on the, the edge of your seat. This movie doesn't quite have this, but man, 
these are the scenes that have this that you are just like totally engaged and it's really fun and you've got you know the two hides you know scaring each other scaring everybody else with these gags and yeah all this stuff so this is i mean to me probably you know one of the high points if not like, the high point of this film I, th- I think it's the most exciting and fun and dynamic and stuff and it becomes it and so fun. and you have these two great stuff and you have eddie parker and then vic parks uh, ironically their name last names are kind of similar just being so physical and uh, you know vic parks rides a rides a bicycle and, and catches like a, a ladder from a fire escape and, and goes up it and you know it's sped up a little bit but it's it's pretty incredible so eventually as as you were saying they all end up moving up towards the roof the, the rooftops of london and we have this yeah this funny thing where regular hide tubby hide are on the same roof and then and then bruce and and slim are chasing them and they're all on four sides of this like a little chimney roof room thing and they keep moving around one way and you know everyone thinks they're after somebody and someone's after them and stuff it's pretty funny it is good good physical i mean good physical gags and stuff it's all visual it's really uh it's really good stuff there's not really a lot of dialogue here it's just kind of for a comedy team that was really known for their banter back and forth you know jack uh, Abbott and Costello, there's not much dialogue for about seven or eight minutes in this movie. And it's just sort of a action film. It's great. It is. And I got to say one thing that kind of, uh, God, and again, I'm not to, I don't disrespect this film or, at all, but I feel like some, some of the dialogue here is it's flat, man. It's, again, very, it's th- just very descriptive. It's yeah. not very clever. Like it's a thing. Like, and I, and I, and I, you know, some of the other Albert Costello movies, certainly Frankenstein, whatever, like there's just some really witty, clever, clever, dialogue yeah. and i just feel like a lot of it i was you know as part here i was kind of taken out i'm just like really kind of grown worthy moments but again yeah, I, yeah it's just it just it doesn't sustain i guess is the best thing you can say we have a recycling of, of, of our, uh slim manages to crack bruce on the on the head with a stick and by mistake as usual yeah and here's the here's the chimney sweep scene and stuff and that's pretty funny uh and then what oh oh, t- oh, oh tubby uh so hide tummy tubby <laughs> tubby hide <laughs> um close he literally clotheslines himself he runs into a clothesline and, and like knocks himself down and of course slim's like ah, i caught i caught the monster um and he and he has a bobby show up and he's like okay now take the clothesline down and we'll tie him up for some reason the bobbies are still doing what slim tells them to do even though even though slim no longer has a job no, but right no it's like slim in like in the reporter like they're basically ordering around all these 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 police yeah, officers yeah, like inspectors they're, nowhere to be found and... their names are above the credits we can exactly <laughs> people do what they say uh meanwhile go. the real hide has gone back to jekyll's mansion where where vicky uh is still is and she's sort of calling the cops and you know trying yeah. to she's sort of coordinating the the search from there which is funny but he comes and he grabs her from behind and picks her up and that's it's definitely eddie parker there and um bruce has led a team again this is the part where you're talking about where where for some reason the reporter is you know coordinating the search Mm -hmm. oh yeah no he's like dictating where these police officers are going to go and you know you go here you go there and again just kind of rolling your eyes whatever but yeah i mean we're really shortage of authority figures in downtown london apparently but i mean certainly Um, the the you know, the climax of this film here, like you said, we've got real hide with Vicky on like, you know, in a third story, fourth story. Important to say that they're up, they're up quite high. Yes. It kind of plays into the, the final scene here that Hyde grabs Vicky and then Bruce comes to her aid. And, yeah, and he, she, she screams, he knows where they are. He runs up mm-hmm. the stairs after them and, and Hyde is, is uh, Hyde's plan is to, I, I, I guess he's going to escape by going out the window and, and you see some bobbies down there. So he kind of can't do that. And Bruce shows up and Vicky runs into his arms. Uh, he confronts him and he's like, you know, it's over, Jekyll. I mean, you know, it's over, right? I mean, we all know. Yeah, he's, he's kind of hanging on to like, uh, and it was like something on the side of the building. And yeah, basically falls to his death. And we have and, that. Yeah, in, instead, instead, Hyde tries to escape and he tries to climb up uh, like a lattice or something on the outside right. of the building. And he, right. and he, 
and he falls like 20 feet i guess and it's enough and, and i guess he manages to, to crack his head and stuff um it's a little i mean if if, if you want to compare this to the the end of the wolfman and dracula in abnacle so frankenstein which is maybe one of the greatest moments in in universal monsters <laughs> history frankly even i know it's in a frank in an abner costello movie but that yeah. moment where not to whatever you know if when when the wolfman runs down the balcony and, and drag is turning the bat and wolfman grabs him in bat forms and they plunge in the ocean i mean that's oh my god that's that's a movie moment that's that's amazing. an ending yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Th- this is more like a household accident <laughs> just, <laughs> it's just like he fell off a ladder basically Except, so you don't okay. tra- except you don't transform into human form when you do right, that. right, right. You yeah. just die. So it's so I guess I mean it is definitely a little anticlimactic, and that's a shame. But uh, we are left with you know he he falls and and I do lo- I always did love when I was little seeing you know he falls and his big cloak is spread out mm. around him like and lo- like wings or something. Yeah, like it's no, pretty- his body's kind of contorted a little bit, like his legs aren't quite straight. Like he might have broken yeah. his back or something. But yeah, yeah I think yeah. like the real climactic moment is everyone now realizing that it was Jekyll. I mean, you see right. like and kind of the crowd. Everybody, he transforms back into stuff. And, right. and I would actually, actually, I'll go go back on what I said. And I, I would say this is actually the best transformation in, in the film is this final one with uh, Karloff turning back in. Because I think they started with Karloff in the makeup and, and went backwards from that. Or or they actually, I'll take that back. I think, I think, I think it's actually in reverse. I think they started with Karloff and put him into the makeup and yeah. then they ran, they ran it backwards, ran it backwards. As, as they would do for, for uh, uh launching junior. When he turned back from the Wolfman, they would do that backwards. Sure. Yeah. Easier, but really easier yeah. that way than, then because once you glue all that crap on, it doesn't just come off. You have to clean your face and stuff. So it's not as makes sense. Automatic. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. just that, that big Eureka moment where the townspeople and more importantly, Vicky can see the transformation happening that geez, all along this evil hide was, was Jekyll. And right. that kind of completes the, the arc of uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Everyone knows it turns out Slim and Tubby were right. And you know, the whole thing. So we have a great coda scene here where, okay, so, so now Slim has come into the inspector's office. This is like the third time, right? He's like, no, this time I really got him. And they, they lead, he, he, he and a bunch of constables lead uh, Tubby Hyde in to, to the inspector's office and, 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 and Tubby Hyde is biting everybody. They, they make a point of showing the, like they're all grabbing him and he bites them oh, all. Yeah. It's like, like a little oh, puppy dog. It's like a puppy dog. Yeah. He's exactly. bi- like literally biting people's fingers. I know. And, and the inspector, like he tries to wag his finger in his face and he bites the inspector's finger too. And, and there's a reason for that, which is it, it's pretty smart. It comes out pretty well. They get him, they knock him with a thing and they, they, he, they put him down into a chair and he's like, you know, okay, well, uh, you know, I got the monster. And then he gets a phone call saying the inspector gets a phone call saying the monster you know they, they it was dr jekyll and he's over on the other side of town and then he looks over and uh we have our final transformation where um where definitely definitely it's a it's a stuntman turning into in makeup turning into into luke costello because this it does not match up very well um well, i think so the transformation like happens without anybody seeing him so right. i think like, when they finally so everyone including slim turns back and sees Tubby sitting there like, oh, so you were just dressed up. Like, why were you trying to fool everybody? Yes. Yeah. And then the, the payoff is that because he's bit all the all the police officers, they, they turn around and, and the inspector and all three all three bobbies are hides now, which is it sort of breaks the the, the laws of Jekyll and Hyde, where he's not the wolfman. He doesn't turn in people in a werewolf by biting them. He doesn't turn into hide, I should say, by biting them. But I guess you could say that if his blood is filled with that thing, if he bites them, then there's there's some fluid transfer, I, I guess. But yeah, there's some like werewolf, there's some but we're, you know, vampire. We're, get, we're getting too in going on. It's just it's a it's a fun reveal. It's, it's so great. fun seeing all the guys in their Bobby uniforms and the hats and everything like that with the shiny <laughs> buns, and but they're also hides. Like it's 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 a fun, and they're all like 
you know, roaring and everything. And that's, that's like four or five makeups. And, and I don't know, I mean, obviously, yeah. so, so that would have been a, a foam appliance, a foam rubber appliance that had been cast. And I guess maybe they were generic enough that they could slap them on all these guys and they just made a bunch of them and stuff, but they're pretty awesome looking. Yeah, they look like they just... have, they look like the inspector definitely looks like he has Wolfman hands, like the gloves that Lon Chaney Jr. Right. would wear. Those claws they're, they're, and, yeah, yeah. They, they don't look like, because Hyde's hands are just sort of hands that are hairy exactly, um, and darkened. He's got full on gloves on. And I, I think they just probably had some extra Wolfman hands and were like, hey, yeah. I noticed that too. Like, yeah, he has like those big nails and, yeah. um, but, but he's got the same like underbite fangs that, that the Wolfman has and stuff. It's, it's, it's neat. This being Universal's basically one and only take on, on, on Mr. Hyde, how they did universalize Mr. Hyde. Like you don't see, and you don't see, you know, when they talk about the universal monsters, you don't see Mr. Hyde included because, you know, they definitely didn't do a standalone Jekyll and Hyde movie. But to me, like Hyde, th- this version of Hyde is is a universal monster. And, you know, they should be making th- these are more like action figures and dolls and bobbleheads and stuff they could be making money off of. Right. Yeah. Right. I, d- I, I love the doing. fact I love the fact, you know, in a universal film or films from this era that, you know, this is a film that ends and it's not buttoned up. We've got like now a plague on our hands. You know, we've <laughs> this got like, is true. We've got like, it's like a disease now of hides running around the country that everyone that they bite theoretically are going to turn into hides. This, this so, is, so, this is, I had not thought about that. That is, you are, you are absolutely right about that. That's, we've got uh, a huge problem. This, here. Is, we've this got is, like, is a problem. Yeah. This, this is, is like, co- this is like COVID. This is like hide COVID now. Exactly. Exactly. They're just going to spread it to everybody. Um, yeah. Uh, and, 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 um, and, like zombies. Um, like Lou, Lou Costello right? is patient zero. Yeah. So maybe if they kill Lou Costello, everyone else goes back to normal. That's <laughs> <laughs> like the head vampire. <laughs> yeah. So you've got you've got all these people searching for Lou Costello to kill him, so that so that everyone else, the, the entire population of England, oh, can go back to normal. Maybe. Oh, really? This is like um, now Night of the Living Dead, and instead of zombies, yeah. now we've got like hide hide monsters. Like well, now we've, now we've and... altered the rules of how you turn into hide. Yeah, right? but, totally. Um, you know, like I said, it, and we've been talking, like we've been having fun with it, but it, and it's not a it's not a flawless film, and there's some goofy bits and stuff. But you know, I have a warm place in my heart for this movie obviously again like i said because of, of enjoying it as a kid and and this being almost as close as i could get to a true old-fashioned monster movie uh, uh before the advent of home video but you know it's there's there's funny bits in it and there's exciting bits in it and and um it's just neat again this this weird one-off where universal finally did a did a jekyll and hyde and happens mm-hmm. to be a horror comedy but a lot of it stands up by itself and i think it's you know i'm just i'm glad we got to rap about it i am too man i am so happy you know that you've got this affinity and a love for this film i'm just i'm so happy we could spend the time and cover this and yeah. so happy it gave me a reason to you know actually you know watch it i don't know this just this this one escaped me and i'm i am yeah. like i'm really happy to get back in here and this has been yeah. just a total blast yeah. I say, I had a, more a, fat- a nice change from some of the the ones we've been doing lately like mask of fu manchu exactly. and stuff. exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of let us off the hook a little bit definitely no i had a lot of honestly i mean i had so much more fun talking about it then you know again i don't hate this movie i would go back and watch it at some point but i i really did jim i had so much fun digging through this with you and you know having some laughs and um you know this is definitely a, a recommend um you know you just want something you know you know, kind of you know on, on something you could put on the lighter side and just have a, you know a little fun with them you know with a movie and a beer or whatever yeah, yeah you'd is, probably this, enjoy this this is good escapist stuff this is yeah. you know it, it's there's an innocence to it that i think i enjoy that you know there's there's kind of an innocence to a lot of the universal films just based on the era they came out in that that i enjoy that they don't i don't find them challenging me you know as as a viewer i i, I can wrap myself up in them and, and be be comfortable and 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 just enjoy them in in their own era and and this is a logical 
conclusion to that. I mean, this is this is the end of Universal Monsters right here. These these couple films because what what House of Dracula is. 48, 40, 46 yeah, or something, I think. It's something like that, yeah. yeah. And, and essentially, that's sort of the end of Universal Monsters. I don't think even the Wolfman, or, or not, I'm sorry, I don't think even the Mummy movies are going much past that era. They were really resurrected in this era in the late 40s, early 50s through the, the Abner Costello movies and stuff. And there's just sort of one last hurrah where we get to see, you know, the Mummy and we get to see, well, we don't see the Invisible Man, I guess we, I should say. <laughs> but off uh, a few times. And Karloff a few times in The Killer. And so he's great. He's great in Abner Costello meet the killer Boris Karloff, even though he's not, he's, he just isn't in it a whole lot. I would say that's actually even a better film and a more uh, evocative kind of spooky film. And I can't wait to talk about that one and all the other ones too, because we'll, we'll, guys, we'll, we'll eventually get to all these. We'll space them out a bit because you can, you can get tired pretty easily with this type of stuff, but, but no, we, one, we'll hit them all. One thing I think we're good at, not to pat ourselves on the back, but mixing and matching these films. Like, yeah. we really do. We've been kind of in the, in the, the sour, dire pessimism, you know, with, we've with the we've Fu done Manchu. some darker ones recently. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. nice to do something a little more fun, a little more upbeat, a little bit more light cupcake. That, that's what I like. I, I think variety is the spice of life. So. Me too. Me too. All right, bud. Really fun. Really, really fun. Yeah. And um, we'll talk to you soon. Good time. Thanks, Thanks for everybody. Thanks for joining the Bogo Pass Hour podcast. We'll chat soon. Thank you for listening to this episode, but the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Ahrens. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.